Just make some noise wherever you are at. Come on, you made it to church today. Hey, if we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Nate, and I serve as the executive pastor here at Substance, and it is truly my honor to serve on behalf of our pastors, Pastor Peter and Kellen Haas, and I'm just so excited for what God is doing in our church. The church is alive. The church is advancing, and, the, and listen, over the last several weeks, we've seen so many people come into salvation, give their lives to Christ, and we're, we're moving into a time of baptisms next Sunday. I want to let you know, be prepared. God's going to do a great work. There's going to be a party at each of our campuses as people come and celebrate death to life. Amen? Amen. So I just want you to get ready for that. Uh, uh, one of the, the honors that I have on behalf of our pastors, Pastor Peter and Carolyn Haas, is serving the global church uh, here at Substance. We really do have a heart to see a life-giving church planted in every city, every, every state, every country around the world. And so we're committed to that. A lot of our mission's focus goes towards church planting. And uh, years ago, Pastor Peter and I had the privilege of going all the way to South Africa on the southern part of the continent of Africa and, and getting to get connected to the, the body of Christ in uh, that country uh, with the denomination, the Assemblies of God, and then with the Association of Related Churches, helping plant life-giving churches there. And uh, how many of you know, if we're looking for a divine appointment, God will bring it to us. And I, I remember showing up there with Pastor Peter, and he was preaching at the conference. And I, I had a chance to meet someone that uh, just really became a quick friend of mine, a person that pastored Urban Edge Church in Cape Town, South Africa. It's a multi-site church. And we began to become friends and began to talk about life and ministry together. And I had the privilege of meeting his family and his, his kids. And uh, one thing I found, he loves shopping. Pastor Peter and I love shopping. Uh, he loves to run like 60 miles a day. I don't, so that's where things kind of fell apart. He actually took me up into the mountains of Cape Town and said, hey, we're gonna go for a short run. Uh, and uh, then they showed me a video of a puff adder eating a cobra on the way up to where we were gonna be running. And I'm like, this person is actually crazy. And uh, he ended up running 20 miles that day. I ran three miles. And so uh, anyways, this chance to get connected with amazing people of God. I, I want to let you know the church of God is alive. The church of God is advancing. The gospel is going forth. The light of the world cannot be shut down. And, uh, and, and that is true about the church in Cape Town. And you had a chance to get more connected with this pastor. And I got to see his heart. For the, for the church in his country. I got to see his heart for the, the people in his country. And, and listen, there's, 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 there's the interpretation of a person when they preach from a stage, and then there's the real person that you see in relationship when you're, you're sharing a meal and you're riding in a car together. And one thing I found out about the Phillips are they're, they're, they're people of integrity, they're people of character, they're people of humility that truly have a heart for Jesus to have a place in their city. And we began to build relationship. I, I remember during COVID-19 when, when church was shut down around the world and uh, nobody really knew what to do. I, I remember having a call with Pastor Sean and we encouraged each other and we encouraged each other's churches and we thought of creative things uh, for the church to do and we launched micro campuses and we did church online and we began to investigate what would God be doing and we saw the gospel advance even greater through the church online, and, and over the years, Sean was supposed to come uh, be with us in uh, just around when COVID hit in 2020, and so this is uh, him coming three years later, and I, I just want to let you know, Pastor Sean, it, 
It's truly been an honor to get to know you as a pastor and as a leader in your country. I really believe that you're an apostolic leader. And I think the power of a person is not what they say about themselves, but it's what other people say about them. And uh, your friends love you. You're a committed, faithful friend. You're a committed, faithful father and husband. You lead your church so well with audacious faith. Uh, Your accent is the coolest accent I've ever heard. You could literally just say watermelon, cantaloupe, and people are getting saved here today. Uh, because you sound like the shark from Little, from little Nemo. And uh, I, I just want to let you know, our, our greatest gift, we don't bring people just to, to random people to preach here. We bring friends and co-laborers in Christ and family members to come share the word. And on behalf of Pastor Peter and Carolyn, it's our greatest honor to have Sean Phillips with us today. Would you stand to your feet and help me honor my friend, Pastor Sean, as he brings the word today? Love you, man. Well, what's up, Substance? Make some noise. For four years, I've been waiting to say that. Four years, I've been waiting to say that. You have the coolest call to worship ever. I just love it. What's up, Substance? I, I, I watch you guys online all the time, probably every other week. Listening to a message, just receiving something for my own soul. How many of you know it's good for a pastor to receive something for their own soul, not just to be the ones that are preaching, um, but we need to be the ones receiving as well. Sometimes it's good to bless your pastor, not just to go with needs, but to bless them, bless them with a word, bless them with something, tell them they're awesome, tell them their preaching is phenomenal, even if it sucked, doesn't matter. <laughs> Amen. Uh, but all I heard, all, all I heard is that if I say watermelon cantaloupe that I can do an altar call, there's gonna be salvations, and we can close the service and go for lunch. Come on, how many of you know that's a good idea right now, amen? Hey, it's such an honor to be here, and um, you, you truly have incredible pastors, and um, they came into our world a few years ago, and have had the privilege of getting to know them, and getting to be connected to them, and, and I love that about the kingdom of God, the church of God, is that we can be connected all around the world, the church is healthy right now. Can I just say the church is healthy? The church is stronger than it's ever been before, and I know everybody, especially in the church world, is worried and coming out of COVID, and it's like, where are all the people, and who are all these new people? But I'm telling you now, God is raising up something that I haven't seen in all my life of being a Christian. There's a, there's a new joy, there's a new excitement, there's a new vibrancy, there's a new anticipation, there's a new hunger, and I honestly believe that God's gonna do something extraordinary in this season if we're willing to allow him. Come on, I need a good amen. Like, in our church, we preach and respond. Now tell our church, you gotta say at least five amens. If you do that, I'll stick to time. If you don't, I can go on all day. I, I got all day, yeah, I don't mind. So I, I need at least five amens from every single person. So just say one, then you're down to four, okay? Just everybody say amen, and you're down. Uh, Pastor Peter and Carolyn, Pastor Nate and Jess, um, truly an honor to know you. I wrote down a few words about who you are. I'll let you sit in a moment. Um, But I wrote down a few words um, as I think about you guys, and and I truly mean this. Kind, you you have exceptionally kind pastors, humble, humble, just ordinary human beings wanting to make a difference, generous, generous, exceptionally generous, generous with time, generous with money. These guys travel, and it's not to live the high life. Traveling in America is a nightmare. 
it is, I mean, to get from Newark to Atlanta to a hotel took nine and a half hours on a flight and all the other interlinking things. It, it is hard work, but they pour their lives out to other pastors, to other people, so that the kingdom can advance. And I truly appreciate Can we give them a hand for that? Wise, exceptionally wise, exceptionally wise leaders. But my favorite one is fearless. Th these guys are fearless. First of all, they're building a great church, doing something incredible, willing to take risks. You know, if, if you wanna grow a big church in America, just do a cookie cutter church, do it the same as everybody else. But they're willing to take risks, do something new, because they don't, they don't just wanna see people coming to church, they wanna see the lost found. They're constantly looking for ways to see the lost found, and I love that about you. But also fearless, because they're the only Americans that would come with me to a place called Belleville, which is the dingiest, shadiest place you can ever go to in South Africa. And these guys went with me to go shoe shopping in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I, I, I can name some people who've been on this platform who I've invited to go to Belleville, and there was no way in a million years they would do it. So you guys are fearless, you're not afraid. Come on, you can give them a hand, amen. High fives, three people around you, tell them it's good to be in church and grab your seats, amen, amen. Just a couple of things about South Africans, if you don't know about us, we are um, perceived to be very aggressive people because of the way that um, we do certain things, some of our mannerisms, some of our, the, the way we talk, and so if we do, if I do come across as that, please excuse me, we, we, we use phrases like, you must, you must do this. People are like, don't tell me I must, okay? That doesn't mean you have to, that just means we recommend that you do something. If, if, we, say, if we say, I will be there just now, okay? It doesn't mean I'm gonna be there right now, it means that I will be there in a while, okay? We, we are super confusing uh, people as South Africans. We are also not very good at following rules, okay? L like, since when was jaywalking an offense? Since when was jaywalking an offense? Like, it, doesn't everybody jaywalk? Isn't that just the norm? And speed limits are recommendations. They are not law, come on. I mean, you know, 100 miles an hour is the pretty standard speed rate in South Africa. Like, we don't know what you guys are talking about. But one thing we do do is we speak correct English. So I just wanna say, that my name is not Sean, it is Sean. It is Sean. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them Sean. Come on, whether you're online, whatever campus you're at, tell them Sean. His correct name is Sean. Did you get that right? And also, it's not pastor, it's pastor. It is pastor. Come on, tell somebody it is pastor. There we go. Now we've got you to speak good English. Amen. Luke chapter 19. And uh, verse 28, just a few verses, says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying this donkey, say to them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the donkey, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? 
And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The title of my message today is Untie Your Donkey, The Lord Needs It. Come on, turn somebody next to you and tell them, Untie Your Donkey, The Lord Needs It. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray just in the next few moments that you will speak to us. That God, it won't just be information, but that there will be revelation. God, that you will touch our hearts, that you'll open our spirits. Thank you, God, that your word is the revelation of who you are. It's you revealing yourself. And I pray in the next few moments that we will see you for who you are, that we will catch your heart, and that we will know your way in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. I have, a, I have a family. I have three boys, 19, 17, and 16 years old. They were super close together. And um, we um, got married when we were, I was 25 years old. My wife was 24. We dated for seven weeks, got engaged, and eight weeks later got married. Come on, how many you know this is the way to do it? Some of you are so slow. It takes a long to decide. Uh, I believe in life, you, you make a choice and you run with it, you go. So we got, we got married, there we go, I got one clap for that one. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but 22 years later, we're happily married, we love each other more than ever, and life is good, come on. So I got three boys and one wife, and I have to say that because in Africa, you have to clarify how many wives you have, so I have one wife with three boys. My oldest, who's here with me today, Jaden, uh, he's just finished high school. He's in college, first year in college, studying sound engineering. And, uh, and they all have different temperaments. Jaden more, has more of that artistic temperament, kind of a Pastor Peter kind of a temperament, where nothing's ever good enough. It can always be better. It can always be improved. And no matter what you create, there's room and there's space for improvement. Do not give me boxed ideas. Let me paint outside of the lines. Do not send me to a school education. Let me dream and create. And you know the kind of creative type. And so that's, that's my older son. My middle son is completely the opposite. He is the highly detailed, highly organized individual. He's just like his mother, Everything is planned out in his life. From the age of 12, he knew what he wanted to do. And if you went to him and you said, Devin, what, what do you want to be in life? It, the answer is very simple. I want to be rich. <laughs> I'm like, no, Devin, that's not a vocation. You have to choose something. He said, I don't care what it is. I just want to be rich. And so now he's going to become a pilot and study applied maths at the same time. And uh, here's my pension scheme one day. He, here's the guy that I'm going to look after so that he can look after me one day in <laughs> The future, And I've got no doubt that one day he is going to be rich. Detailed, organized, everything must be in its place. And uh, then we've got my youngest son, who again, totally different to the other two. 
My younger son, my wife says, he's more like me. He's the outgoing, gregarious, wants to be the life of the party, center of attention. I mean, come on, how many of you know that's the only reason you go into ministry is so that every <laughs> single week you've got a couple of thousand people staring at you. And, and, and that's exactly who he is. He's just this, this outgoing young individual who just wants to be where the party's at. He wants everybody to know. He, he will give all his money away to his friends just so that he can be at the center of their world. And I remember one day we were driving to school. He was about uh, 11 or 12 years old at the time, and I was dropping him off um, at the school that he was at. And as you kind of come to a stop, we, we've got fences um, at our school, uh, and the kids kind of play outside on the courtyard. And I, I know in Minneapolis you can't play outside because it's like minus 400 degrees. <laughs> I mean, we came from like the, the coldest day we've had in the last eight months. It, it was so cold, it was 57 degrees Fahrenheit. It was, <laughs> I couldn't deal with it. But we, 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 we're driving out there and we're getting ready to drop him off. And as I'm slowing the car down and I kind of pull into the, the parkade area along the side of the fence and all the kids were playing there and there's a bunch of girls that were standing around and talking and having a little bit of fun. And, and the next moment they see our car coming to a stop. And as true as anything, these girls come running to the side of the fence and they're grabbing the fence like this and they start to shout, Callum, Callum, Callum. My son, who loves to be the center of the tension, noticed this in an instant and knew that this was his moment. And so we come to a stop, but he doesn't get out the car. He takes a pause moment. He looks into the mirror, gets his hair all right, makes sure that everything's on right, makes sure that everything is according to perfection. And when he thinks he's right, as these girls are screaming, calling out his name, the door slowly opens, but he doesn't get out. He pauses for the greatest moment of dramatic effect, and then he doesn't step out of the car. He kind of launches out and lands on the ground, and as he lands on the ground, he puts his arms out and he goes, it is I. <laughs> I, I do not get why his mother says he takes after me. It doesn't make sense at all. I would never do a thing like it. It is I. And I can just imagine that my younger son, at the age of 11 or 12 years old, in that brief moment, thought that this was his moment of glory. This was the moment where all eyes were on him. And I could just picture himself as he's getting out this car that the countdown is going. Things are getting ready. The concert's about to happen. The lighting is flashing. The smoke is coming out. Everything, there's a cloud of thunder. The screaming crowds, even though it was just four young girls, there was 4,000 young screaming, swooning girls waiting for him. This was his moment. And I can picture that he's picturing all of this in his mind and as he's stepping out of that car onto the center stage with 4,000 young screaming girls looking at him, calling out his name, and he goes, it is I. Sometimes when I think about God and the kingdom of God, I wonder why it is that when God wants to make himself known, that he doesn't come down on a chariot of fire with smoke and clouds and lightning and thunder. I mean, if he's God who owns everything, who can do anything, who created all of these things, why isn't 
it that he comes down on this cloud and a chariot and smoke and thunder and a loud voice. And he makes his presence known all over the earth. And as he lands on planet earth, he goes, it is I. But God didn't do that. In fact, the way that Jesus came to the cross was on a dirty, smelly, stinky, insignificant little thing called a donkey. As Jesus is getting ready to face the cross, his final hours, the greatest moment in humanity, the moment that all of heaven had pointed towards, this was the grand finale, this was not the opening act, this was not the pre-act, this was the main show. Jesus getting ready to face the cross, to face the tomb, so that he can be risen from the grave, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and salvation can come to all of humanity, I would have thought that he would have made a grander entry, but he chooses to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. A stinky, smelly, dirty, insignificant donkey. And I'm here to tell you and I today that nothing has changed that when it comes to the salvation plan of God, when it comes to God revealing himself in humanity, when it comes to God revealing his presence and this great plan of salvation, which the Bible calls good news because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the gospel, it's the story of redemption, and God doesn't choose to come down in a chariot of fire, God doesn't choose the lightning and the smoke and the grand entrance, but God chooses ordinary, stinky, smelly, dirty, disgusting, dysfunctional people like you and I to bring in the gospel, to reveal his presence, to usher in the kingdom of God. And I'm here to tell you one simple thing today. I flew 16 hours, went through three different states, to land in the second best city on the planet called Minneapolis. God got me all the way here to tell you the simplest of simple things today, but I believe it can be the most profound thing for you in my life if we get the revelation, and simply this, is that God uses people to fulfill his purpose. God chose people. God chose insignificant, dirty little donkeys, Tell somebody next to you, you're just a dirty donkey. No, don't tell them that. <laughs> God uses ordinary people. God could have chosen anything. God could have chosen people that were more trustworthy. God could have chosen different ways to reveal himself. God could have come up with the greatest concert on planet Earth and make himself known. But the bottom line when it comes to the gospel, God just chooses you and I. This is God's plan for humanity. You and me revealing the story of salvation to a broken world. Jesus is getting ready to face the cross. He's coming from Jericho and he's having to travel about 10 miles, I've got to convert now, about 15 miles across a desert road to enter into Jerusalem, but he stops in a little town called Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and he's getting ready to come into Jerusalem, which is about a kilometer away from Bethpage. In fact, you can overlook Jerusalem from this little town that he was at, which was on the other side of the Kidron Valley. And as he's there waiting to make his final entry, because he knows what he's about to face, he gives an assignment to his disciples, and he says, 
I want you to go to the village that's just in front of you, that's before Jerusalem, and as you enter that village, you're gonna see a donkey that's tied to a pole, and when you get there, I want you to untie the donkey, and I want you to bring it to me, and if anybody stops you and asks you, why are you untying this donkey, I simply want you to tell them, the Lord needs it. The disciples go down to the village, see exactly as Jesus had seen. There's a donkey tied to a pole in this little village. They begin to untie it. The owner comes out and says, why are you taking my donkey, which is why you know that they didn't live in South Africa, okay, because a lot of worse things would have happened if you were untying somebody's donkey in South Africa. But they untie his donkey, and they take it, and they ask him, why are you taking my donkey? And their simple response to the owner of the donkey is the Lord needs it. I wanna ask you today, what is it that you need to untie that the Lord needs? I wonder what it is today that God is wanting you to untie that God needs. Maybe for you, for some of you today, it's a little bit of time. Maybe, maybe God's wanting you to give a little bit of time towards his service, towards his purpose. Maybe for some of us today, it could be some gift or talent that God has laid upon your life that you've used maybe for your own purposes, for your own enjoyment, for your own creativity, hopefully not just for your own glory, but maybe it's that very gift that God is wanting you to untie so that he can usher in his presence and his kingdom can come. Maybe it's a burden that God has laid on your heart. Maybe a long time ago, God had put a burden on your heart when you first got saved and you said, God, I wanna do something for your kingdom and you've given me a picture and you've shown me something that you put on my heart. But as time has gone by and life has got busy, you've unburdened the burden, you've kept it tied up, but God is wanting you to untie that burden today. Maybe it's just some words that God is wanting you to speak. Maybe there's some words of affirmation. Maybe it's been a long time since you've told your spouse that you love her, or you've gone to somebody and you've blessed them, or you've gone to an enemy, somebody that has been tormenting you, and you've just spoken words of life and spoken words of encouragement to you. Maybe you need to untie your mouth because God is getting ready to use it for his purpose. What do you have that's tied up that the Lord needs? you to untie. Come on, tell somebody next to you, untie your donkey. The Lord needs it. You know, what's so fascinating about the story is if you look at the, the same account in Matthew chapter 21, it tells you there in verse four that this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, what the owner didn't know was that he wasn't just untying a donkey, but he was actually fulfilling prophecy. And I'm here to propose to you and I today that if, you unwilling, if you're willing to untie some things in your life, you could be fulfilling the exact thing to which God, for which God created you. You could be fulfilling the destiny to which God has called you towards. You could be untying the very thing that God had preordained, that God had foreseen before you were even born, that he knew that he needed to use in order for somebody else to come to the kingdom of God, for somebody else to hear the message of the gospel, for something else to take place so that the gospel can advance. And if you're willing to untie it, you can be a part of the greatest commission that God has had for this planet, the commission of fulfilling his call and his purpose and his prophecy over this world that all will come and hear the gospel. What is it that you need to untie that God wants to use in his plan for humanity? 
So today I want to give you, just in the next few minutes, four ordinary things, just four ordinary things. God's not looking for the greatest. He's not looking for the best. He's just looking for some ordinary things in our lives. That if maybe we can untie, we can make an extraordinary difference for the kingdom of God. Come on, are you ready? The first thing that I believe God wants us to untie is a heart for service. A heart for service. You know what I love about this story? Was that Jesus, this couldn't have been an easy moment for Jesus. I mean, think about it. I don't know about you, but you know, like I often think about the end. And truth be told, I don't fear the end, but I fear how it's gonna end. Is there anybody else here today? Like, I, I, I know where I'm going. I know there's life beyond this. I know that I'm going not just to a better place, but I'm going to be with the Father. Because that's the destiny. The destiny is in heaven. The destiny, the goal is the Father, fellowship with the Father. And I, I know where I'm gonna be, but sometimes I have a little bit of a fear of how that's gonna happen or when it's gonna happen. Imagine being Jesus, knowing that the hour has come, knowing the death you're gonna die because there are pages and pages written about it. I don't know about you, I'd be pretty freaked out. Is there anybody else here today? Like, like, would anybody else be pretty freaked out? Like, you're gonna die on the cross. They're gonna beat you, mock you, spit on your face, put you on a cross, leave you to breathe your last breath. I'd be freaking out. And in a moment like that, you, you wanna be highly focused. And what I love about the disciples is that in Jesus, probably his most tormenting, painful, difficult moment, when he goes to the disciples and he says, guys, what I need to face my final moment is a donkey. Is there anyone willing to go and fetch me a donkey? the immediate response of the disciples is yes. Come on, how many of you know that God is needing some disciples in the kingdom of God that are willing to say yes sooner than later in the kingdom of God? In fact, one of the ways that I love to describe maturity, Christian maturity, is the ability to say yes a lot quicker than it takes longer. In other words, sometimes an immature Christian is somebody who's gonna say yes to God, but it's gonna take a long time. But maturity, spiritual maturity, is the ability to say yes when God asks. And what I love about the disciples is the moment Jesus says, I need a donkey, is there somebody willing to go and fetch one? The disciples say yes. This is what a disciple is. What is a disciple? In those days, a disciple was somebody who would follow their master, follow their rabbi. And what they would do is if they decided they wanted to become a disciple, they would literally give up their life and go and live 24 seven with this rabbi. They were going to spend every waking moment. In fact, if you encountered one of these disciples and you had a conversation with them or you discussed something about God or spirituality or anything like that with them or you watched some of their mannerisms, you would know what rabbi they were following simply by listening to them and observing them. That's what a disciple is. And you know, that's the same call that God has for you and I today. It's the call to follow him no matter what. It's the call to say yes to him no matter what. It's the call to say yes to him every single day of your life. And when Jesus is asking for something, you and I have the ability to respond because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when Jesus asked the disciples to serve him by fetching a donkey, the immediate answer was yes. 
Notice what Jesus said in Mark chapter one, verse 17. Jesus goes to the first disciples when he calls them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what a disciple does? A disciple follows Jesus. Jesus never said, follow your dreams. He never said, follow your passions. He never said, follow your favorite church or your favorite Instagram social influencer. No, Jesus' call to the disciples was what? Follow me. Follow me. Uh, a few years ago, we, um, we had a guy come and speak to a group of ministers in, in our city, and, and um, he came and shared about a program that they do in their church called Champions Club. And as he began to share about this, it, it, it's a program that they run within their kids' church for special needs kids, so that special needs kids have the ability to learn and to hear about Jesus, just like every other ordinary child, but they do it in a specialized environment with specialized kind of equipment so that it caters towards their needs. And as he began to speak about this, I began to weep. And I instantly knew that that's what God wanted us to do as a church. I didn't even have to pray about it. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't even have to tell my elders about it. I just said, this is what we're going to do. And that was like a year before COVID. And so then we began to present it to the church and say, guys, we, we, we need to raise a little bit of money to do this. And the church was so generous and they gave money and we were able to renovate one of our, our classrooms and buy all the specialized equipment to, to do it all. And then COVID hit and so we had to put everything on pause. And then as soon as we came out of COVID, I still knew it was burning on my heart. We have to keep pursuing this. But I thought to myself, I, I don't know how we're gonna do this. I mean, we're just getting out of COVID. You know, the, uh, the people are barely getting back. The volunteers are barely getting back. You know, life is not the way that it always was. And now you're asking me, to make a call for an extra commitment from people, like how are they gonna follow you in this call? Because it takes a huge commitment. In fact, in order to commit to this kind of program, you have to be there every single week looking after the same child so that the environment can be stabilized. And if you don't come, the family doesn't get to come. And I thought, God, there's no way we're gonna do that. We, 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 we got the facility, we've raised money for the equipment, but there's no way that people are gonna put up their hands and say, yes, I'm in, count me in 52 weeks a year, I'm in. I'm there for this, for this child. So I thought one Sunday, I'm just gonna do it. I said, guys, this is my vision, this is what I believe God has called us. And if you're interested, come to this meeting. Well, guess what, 32 people turned up. 32 people turned up. Now that a whole bunch of them signed up and said, yes, we're willing to commit every single week to meet the needs of this child. And you know, because of that, one of the very first families who came with their child to the special needs came and grabbed us and hugged us and said, I wanna thank you so much. We haven't been able to go to church for 11 years because no church could cater and cope with our child. Come on, isn't that wonderful? When you can say yes, when you're willing, when you untie a heart for service, God can do extraordinary things. Tell somebody next to you, untie your donkey. The Lord needs it. Come on, I need a few more amens here today. It's 11.38, we can go at least till 3.38 this afternoon. Number two, the second thing I believe we can untie is the spirit of generosity. I want you to notice in this story that everybody gave something. Even though the focus of the story was on the disciples who went to untie the donkey, they weren't the only ones that gave something. 
Everybody gave something. The owner untied his donkey and gave it to Jesus to use, but the disciples took off their cloaks and they put it on the stinky, smelly donkey so that Jesus could sit on the donkey. And then all the people, as they watched Jesus riding to Jerusalem, began to take off their coats and put it on the ground, palm leaves on the ground, so that the stinky, smelly, dirty donkey could walk all over their cloaks so that Jesus could be ushered into Jerusalem. Everybody gave something so that Jesus could come into Jerusalem. Can I tell you something today? Is that your generosity ushers in God's glory. It's your generosity that brings in the glory of God. Come on, how many of you know that the only reason that we're here today is because somebody gave towards this building. Somebody had the faith to believe, God, we can do something in this community. Somebody believed that, God, we can do something downtown. Somebody believed, God, that we can do something in the West. Somebody believed, God, that we can do something in Monterey, in Mexico. Somebody was willing to believe and somebody was generous enough in this church to believe that if we do something together, God can do extraordinary things. But if you wanna see God's glory invade this earth, if you wanna see God's presence invade every, every single corner of the kingdom, then we have to untie a spirit of generosity in our lives. Do you know what a generous church looks like? Can I give you a definition? This is the Sean Phillips definition. Simply this, a generous church looks like this. It's when nobody is waiting for someone to do something, but everyone is doing something so that everything gets done. Can I read that again? It's when nobody is waiting for someone to do something, but everyone is doing something so that everything gets done. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this. It says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Come on, we, we, we all know that deep down. We all know that it's better to give than to receive. We know that because when you go on a mission trip, and I know you're taking many teams uh, on mission trips, and when you go on a mission trip, uh, I know that the primary reason you say yes to go on a mission trip is we wanna go and make a difference. But the truth is when you come back, every single testimony we ever hear of people who went on the mission trip is that I was more blessed than they were blessed. I was more encouraged than they were encouraged. I was more helped than they were helped. God did something more in me than what I could ever do in any of their lives. Why? Because it's the same principle. Come on, how many of you know that generosity is the very thing that refreshes you? And when you and I take our eyes off ourselves and we begin to place it on others, when we take our eyes off ourselves and we begin to place it on Jesus, God begins to refresh your lives. You know why you're tired, you're weary, you're burnt out, you're drawn out? It's because so often we spend our whole lives focusing on my problems, my issues, my circumstances, my stuff, my way, and all of that tires you out. But when you begin to let go of my problems and my issues, because I don't have time for my problems anymore, I don't have time for my issues anymore. In fact, I don't even have time to spend all the money that I managed to, communi- uh, to, to, to accumulate because I'm so busy blessing others. I'm so busy refreshing others. I'm so busy doing something that, that is outside of me. Guess what happens? God begins to bless your life. You know, there's a difference between duty and generosity. Duty is doing that which is required to be done, but generosity is going over and beyond without expecting anything in return. Can I give you a couple of examples? 
duty. Duty is when you put the toilet seat down when you've made a wee. But generosity is when you clean the seat after you've weed. Come on, can I get an amen from the ladies here today? Every man, you, you're required to do your duty, but can you be generous? Let me give you another example. Duty, when it comes to serving, giving, loving, in the kingdom of God says, I have to do this. Oh, I've got to wake up today. I've got to go do my duty. But generosity says, I get to do this. I get to be at church today. I get to worship God. I get to turn up early so I'm here for the first song. I get to serve somebody else. I get to walk somebody into the parking lot. Come on, how many of you know that God wants us to entire spirit of generosity? Can I get an amen? Tell somebody next to you, untie your donkey. The Lord needs it. Come on, just two more. Are you ready for two more? Number three, untie the chains of ownership. We need to untie the chains of ownership in our lives. You guys have a thing called, called jerky. We call it biltong. Biltong is not jerky. Let me just say that. Okay, jerky is the very kind way of dealing with an animal. The way we do biltong, okay, is we, we, we just basically, I oh know this is terrible, we, 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 we just kill the cow, chop it up, get long strings of meat, hang it up, and then sell it. Okay, that's what biltong is. Uh, it's, it's a messy process. So one of the things when we were young was we weren't particularly wealthy, we weren't poor, but biltong was a luxury. And biltong would arrive in sticks, long sticks. It's not these finely little cut-up pieces in a vacuum-packed or sealed packet that is germless. They, they would just take it out with their hands. It was hanging up with all the flies and everything all over it. And then they would pull it out of there and just serve it up to you and put it in a brown paper packet and you would take it off home and then you would eat it. I mean, we're South African. And so, and, so, and so I remember every now and then my dad would come home with, 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 with a couple of biltong sticks. And whenever he came home, I have a brother, he's four years older than me, which simply means this. Come on, those of you who know that you've you got a bunch of kids. How many of you know that like every time you, you, you pour that glass of cool drink across three different glasses? It's going to be like World War III. Is there anybody else? Is it just, like, was it just my kids? Is there anybody else here like that? Like, they're going to be watching and comparing and checking out which one is which level. And he, he got more than me. Why didn't I get that class? And I remember getting these, these sticks of bultong. The one day my dad came home with two sticks of bultong. Two sticks of bultong in a brown packet. I was so excited. This was the treat. This was the family treat but I knew that my brother was gonna dominate. And so I had to find a way as a younger brother to take control of the situation. And so I learned something very early on. There was a simple way to do it. And the way to do it was, was that you had to make sure that you got there first. And if you got there first, you need to take the two sticks of biltong out of the packet as fast as you can, size it up, compare it, and as soon as you have identified the larger one, you lick it. Come on, can I get a good amen? 
How many of you know? There's wisdom right there, okay? Wisdom straight from the Bible. And every time I, those two sticks of biltong arrived, I don't know why my dad always bought two sticks of biltong. Every time it arrived, I made sure that I got the bigger one and I licked it. You know, it never dawned on me, it never ever dawned on me, never ever 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 dawned on me that perhaps the two sticks of Bolton wasn't just for me and my brother, maybe it was also for the rest of the family. It never ever dawned on me that my job was not to be the owner of this Bolton, but maybe it was to be the steward of what the father had placed in my care. And so often that's how we live life. We receive something from the Father, but then we treat it as though we own it. But we never own anything. That's what the Bible says. The Bible calls us to be stewards of everything that God has put in our hands. And you might be saying today, yeah, but you don't understand. I mean, God didn't put the, the wealth that's in my bank account in my hands. I worked hard every single day of my life for it. Yeah, but who gave you the hands to work? Who gave you the education to work? Who gave you the brains to work? Who gave you everything that you need in order that you could express the creativity that could get you to where you got in order for you to receive what you're able to to have. Everything that we have comes from God. Amen. You go, no, that's not true. My cell phone belongs to me. No, it doesn't. Where do you think this cell phone came from? It came from the dust of the earth. It comes from God. And I would want to say to you and I today that perhaps the better way to live our lives if we want to untie some donkeys for the kingdom of God is to begin to live a lifestyle of stewardship and not a lifestyle of ownership. You know, one of the ways that, that, that we do this on our staff is I teach our staff all the time. Sometimes we have our finance meetings and there's always stuff we wanna do because how many of you know that whenever there's provision, uh, there's vision, there's never enough provision. But every time we get a little bit of money, you, you know, everybody wants to spend it. Every department wants to spend it. Everybody wants to justify and motivate why they need it. Is it just our church, Pastor Peter? Is that everywhere, all over the world? And I had to teach our staff that one day, I remember sitting down to the staff one day saying, guys, I know we've got money in our bank account, but just because we've got money, the question shouldn't be, can I afford it? The real question should be, am I being a good steward of it? Because just because you can afford something doesn't mean that that's how God wants you to steward it. And I would propose to you and I today that if we could rather ask am I being a good steward of it, more than we ask, can I afford it, that you can begin to unlock incredible things that God is getting ready to do in and through your life. Come on, tell somebody, untie your donkey, the Lord needs it. Number four, as I come to a close, the fourth thing that I believe we can untie is to untie a passion for mission. To untie a passion for the mission. You know, what's so amazing about the story is that the owner of the donkey never understood the significance of what he was untying. Now, I want you to think about the story from a, we read the story and we go, wow, it's a great story. Jesus died, came up out of the grave, he's risen, he's ascending into heaven. It's the gospel story. But to the disciples, it didn't make sense in the moment. And to this owner of this donkey, he never understood the full significance of what he was doing. And I think it was only when he got to the other side of the cross, and maybe even the other side of eternity, 
that he realized the significance of what it meant to release his donkey for the purpose of the kingdom. And I wanna to propose today that for some of us today, we're never gonna understand the full significance of untying some donkeys. You're never gonna understand what your giving is doing for the kingdom of God. You're never gonna fully understand what your kind words and your words of life are gonna do to somebody's soul. You're never gonna understand that when you just put your hand up to say, yes, I'll go into the parking lot in the middle of minus 400 degrees Celsius so that somebody can wind up in church today, you will never understand the full significance of your yes until you get to the other side of eternity. But if you're willing to keep saying yes, there's gonna come a moment where God is gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant, where, where God is gonna look at you and he's gonna show you the significance of your yeses, the significance of your donkeys, this dirty, smelly, disgusting little yes that seems so insignificant, that didn't seem to be such a big deal when I said yes to it, but because I said yes to it, somebody's life was changed forever. Never underestimate the power of your yes. Never underestimate. The Bible says that his yes fulfilled prophecy, that which was spoken long before he was born. Do you know that God has always intended some things for you to say yes to in your life? God has always planned for that. It's always been a part of God's plan for your life. And your job and my job is simply to find the donkeys that are in our life, to untie it, to say yes. Because your yes is a yes that can last for eternity in Jesus' name. What do you need to say yes to? What is it that maybe God's spoken to you about a long time ago? What is it that you've let up on? Because maybe life has got too busy, things have got too crazy, finances have become tighter, time has become more challenging. The pressures of life have caused you to shrink back. Rejection and hurt and pain from other people caused me to become less generous in my words and my spirit, my openness. What is it that you've pulled back on that maybe today? God's saying, why don't you untie it? I always planned for you to untie it. If you can just see the significance of how this will usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I want us all to stand for a moment. I'd love to be able to pray with us. What is your yes today? You know, at Substance Church, the way we talk about yeses, we talk about next steps. What's your next step? Ah, next step. I see it on church news every single week. Ah. It's the same person saying it. There they go. Pastor Nate's gonna get up here at the end of the service and he's gonna tell me to take a next step. I'm gonna make sure that while he tells me that, I'm gonna get out there to the coffee line so I can be first. 
But what you don't realize is that this is a moment that God has marked out for you where there might be a donkey in your life. And if we don't pay attention, we're gonna miss out. We're gonna miss out on something which seems so insignificant, but can be the very thing that God needs to usher in His kingdom. Come on, I wanna ask you, what donkey do you need your own time? I'd love to be able to pray with you this morning. I really have a sense here this morning that there's some people that need to untie some donkeys. God's getting ready. God's getting ready to do something. You've been holding back. You've been resisting. You, you don't need to wait for the grand voice from heaven. And this is not a call to empty out your entire bank account, to give up your entire life or what you call your life. This is just, this is just a call to say yes. I've been sensing you've been wanting me to just step into something. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. What is your yes? Bow your heads. God, thank you. Thank you that every single one of us here today, we have a yes. We have a donkey. It's not the best vehicle. It's not the sexiest vehicle. It's not the loudest vehicle. It doesn't even seem like the vehicle that's going to wow anybody. But it's the donkey that you want to untie for your kingdom. God, my yes matters today. And I pray right across this platform that there will be a whole lot of yeses. Small, insignificant yeses that will usher in presence of God, that'll usher in the kingdom of God, that'll cause the church to grow and expand in Jesus' mighty name. And all of those people said, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. Amen.